Hey, this is Jeremy Perigo, and it's a delight to have you on the Worship Theology Podcast, a space where we're bridging faith and ministry praxis and looking into the intersection of theology, music, and worship. This podcast uh, features a, a second part of a conversation with Graham Kendrick. Graham is a, an amazing worship leader, a songwriter, and has been called the father of modern worship music. And so it's a delight to, to continue this conversation with Graham. One of the one of the reasons you first wrote a particular corporate worship song was actually a, an area of um, confusion, pain, discord, even. And I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah one of the one of the 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 questions from Liturgy Fellowship. I don't know if you're a part of that. It's a Facebook group that has lots of different streams in it. But as I as I shared, I was going to be interviewing them. But one of one of those those folks on that um, platform ask about your inspiration for songs or where you're drawing, you know, some of the songs you've written. And I loved, you know, just a bit ago, you were, I, I've, I don't know that I've ever really heard anyone saying, I'm going to write this song because there's discord, <laughs> like there's, there's a problem <laughs> here. And actually this song might help <sighs> us wrestle with a conversation we can't, yeah, we can't have either mm, either mm. in a meeting, but let's let's do that. What other yeah, what other um areas or or activities or kind of yeah, where you, where are you drawing from as as you as you write? Um certainly uh occasionally something liturgical. I mean, we're kind of I I, I belong to my home church is a Anglican church, Church of England, which is so we're kind of liturgical light, you know, L-I-T-E. Yeah. We, we, uh, but it, it's great, and it's a very important part of what we do, um, especially communion. We have, you know, when we take communion, it's a liturgical communion. Uh, but we always, one of our little liturgical sort of uh, fixed points is we, we always start a service after the welcomes and whatever with a confession. Um and I really like that, actually, um, for lots of reasons. Um, one is it, it takes us to um, just who we are, you know, the real state of our lives. And it also means that nobody's going to try and hype up the crowd, you know. And let's face it, a lot of what can happen, I've done it myself and seen it done in in church, um, is... We want to get the right mood going, you know? So it becomes a like lively song. Hi, everybody. It's great to be here yeah, today, yeah, you know, yeah. and the band starts up. And you're kind of creating this up atmosphere. Now, there's nothing wrong with that in, 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 on one level, uh, but where do you go from there, you know? Are we just trying to create a mood and we've got to sustain that now for the next hour and a quarter or something, you know? Uh, but starting with something liturgical, um, uh, I'm sure I'm preaching to the converted here, the <laughs> folks listening, especially in the liturgical liturgy fellowship. <laughs> the liturgy fellowship. Um, that it, it takes you straight to just the truth, the simple, simple truths. This is who we are. This is who God is, and this is who Jesus is, and connecting us. And then you can go all kinds of places, but you haven't set up a a, a, a mood. Um, I think I've probably. Uh, I've definitely written things around uh, communion, um, which would have taken some inspiration from from lit liturgy. Um, I've written some, several of those. I've also probably failed more than I've succeeded, but in songs that 
sending us out, you know. Um, and it's I love it when the way that a good liturgy will uh, commission us, you know, to go out into the world. And um, then sometimes a whole list of, of, of things that we are meant to do. Uh, and that's important because a lot of meetings start with ministry. To us, we get prayed for. Yeah, and then the yeah, implication yeah. is that this is the high point of the meeting. Yeah. We yeah. get prayed for so that yeah. we can and, be... And even you know, the high point of our, our week, like, hey, yeah. we'll see you next week yeah. where there's not this connection with whole life worship. Yes. Like, yeah. hey, have yeah. a great week. We'll see you next time. And that's the exactly. high point of the meeting. But also sometimes church yeah. and Sunday can be the high point of our life, which yeah. isn't bad, but how does, yeah, that sending, I love that. It connects us with whole life worship and yeah, we're, yeah. we're going yeah. out to also do the stuff there. Yeah. I mean, I think funnily enough, the, one of the first occasions I uh, actually borrowed uh, 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 one of the creeds um, was almost accidental because um, I was involved in an initiative to try to, get the church on the streets in worship. And eventually it got called Not March for Jesus. And, and uh, that's the whole story there. But um, my initial task, and I didn't know, because there was no demand for this as far as I could tell. It was just the Holy Spirit was kind of nagging me to say, "Come, you know, it's great what's happening behind the four walls, but it's, we've got to take it out, you know. And to... and. What, so I, I wrote this kind of 20 minutes series of songs and kind of chants that you could do on the streets just to a bass drum, you know, uh, you know, big kind of brass band type bass band, <laughs> not the brass, but the just the yeah, drum, boom, yeah, boom. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I settled into was was part of the creed. So it was like the bass drums going, mm, we believe. In God the Father, maker of, you know, and the, it was like, here we are, we're the church, we're on the streets, this is what we believe, it was kind of what it says on the tin, you know, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and one or two people were saying, oh, Graham, you've gone all liturgical, I said, did I? Oh, okay. I was just being pragmatic, you know, just saying, well, we also also borrowed the Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again, which is normally spoken very politely in England, but we just we made it a shout, yeah. you know, Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And we took it on the on the streets. It just seemed to be, well, let's just say what we believe, you know, and who we are. Um and in in humility and in joy and celebration and 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 so on. Um, I tell you the other thing. We I guess the question was particularly about liturgical forms. Um, certainly, um, if you move over to to the to sermons, there was an era where I was in a church of London where the preaching was very um, missional. And the church was a church that would, you know, teach it on a Sunday and be out doing it Monday to Saturday. You know, it was uh, it was a, uh, um, and the the teaching was very visionary and you know very biblical, but very very practically focused. And I wrote a lot of songs out of out of that 
And it was just me processing the teaching and taking elements of it um, uh, and so that we could sing it as well. And it, it was definitely a, uh, an era where the kind of the teacher, the, you know, the Bible teacher and the, the minstrel, you know, were working in harmony yeah. um, to, um, you know, get the church singing, singing their purpose as they did it, you know. Um, it's great when that happens, yeah. Yeah, Graham, you, you, I've seen you kind of share your music, lead worship in so many different contexts. And, you know, Royal Albert Hall with Nultradenic and Prom Praise or doing a kind of <laughs> stories and song concert with, you know, a few dozen people in a room. How, how you know, you're leading in some of these different and, and performing in some of these different contexts. How maybe does your approach shift, whether it's a outdoor men's festival conference or a small tent at a, a 72 hour you know worship gathering nonstop? Are, are there things that um, yeah, you different do different in your planning or leading um, as, as you come to kind of these different kind of contexts, these different ministry mm. opportunities to, yeah, I, mm. I'd be interested to hear how you how you approach Ab absolutely maybe, maybe um, you don't yeah yeah <laughs> no I, I i always think very carefully about the context um and um uh you, you mentioned uh, leading at a men's conference um well that that all that began with um a conversation with a guy who was um leading a men's ministry and, and was saying oh the some of some of my colleagues uh, want to ban singing because it's because men, men's men, you know, they don't they don't sing, you know they, uh, and anyway, all these songs they're too feely feely, you know, and um, about Jesus cuddling me and things and um, yeah. so, and we had this discussion. Then he sort of said, "Okay, well, we've got a conference coming up. Why don't you come and lead worship, and we'll throw you to the lions, as as it were." <laughs> and it, but in the sense, it 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 was fairly simple because I know men do love to sing if you give them the right song in the right key. Hymn-like songs are are great songs, which are about purpose, about challenge, um, and. Um, and women like those as well, you know. But it 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 it's simply a matter of adjusting, kind of recalibrating recalib a little bit to say, okay, this is a particular group of people, um, and even just the key is this has got to be in their sort of power range. Yeah. You know, they're not all tenors. Yeah. You know, no. <laughs> um, we're, we're not. I know. <laughs> Thank you, Graham. <laughs> um, and. Uh, but then in other contexts, you know, sometimes I'm doing something which is a little bit more like a, con a, a concert, you know. Uh, and I, I slip very easily between the two, but I, I work the program very carefully, you know, and think about when people are standing, when they're sitting, how long they might have been standing, or now it's time for a, uh, to sit down and listen to a song that tells a story or a different mood. Um, uh, and you know it's it's constructed just like any concert would be. But I'm I'm thinking here of 
people's energy, you know, um, and the age group, you know, are they, yeah. <laughs> are they younger people who want to burn a lot of energy jumping up and down? I don't do many of those, by the way. I don't, I haven't written many of those kind of songs, but, um, or is it, is it my age group who want to be sitting down most of the time? <laughs> um, so, and, and I love to sort of move between, I often think of it in terms of, um, when one of my little principles in terms of songwriting and worship is uh, revelation and response. And I know Matt Redman talks, has a similar one of breathing in and breathing out, you know. So, you know, we, we tell the story. Uh, we remember the story of God's love for us in Christ. And then we respond to it, you know. And sometimes I put in some story songs that set the scene and then move to a point where say, okay, so out of all of that, let's, let's worship, you know, in this particular uh, way, in this particular um, theme. Um, but it's always, there's no one song list that fits every, every setting, in, as far as I'm concerned. Um, some people may achieve that very well, but I always have to adapt. And, and even in the, you know, in the morning, maybe use this, take the key down a notch because people's voices aren't warmed up, you know, and, and things like that. It's a constant, it's part of, I see just part of my job yep. to, uh, you know, to provide people with that which best enables them to give their worship to God. This isn't uh, my, yeah. I love that about you, Graham. I mean, you're very intentional, discerning, prayerful, thoughtful, you know, thinking pastorally, theologically, musically. I know sometimes some of, yeah, some of my students are like, Jeremy, we just, Dr. Perry, we just, we just want to worship. We just, we don't want to have to think about all these, these things. But I think what, what you're showing and modeling is that, yeah, there's a, a pastoral and a theological um, demand on us as, as leaders of worship, or Christian artists, or whatever title you want to give, to enable pe the people of God to mm. hear, to engage, to respond, to listen, yeah. to proclaim, mm. and I yeah, I've always yeah appreciated that about you. You mentioned a, f a few minutes ago about kind of the March for Jesus and kind of praise parades, and there's a, a question from uh, a charismatic worship historian so he's i don't know i don't think he'd consider himself charismatic but he's studying that that movement and okay. he, uh, first and and your name came up <laughs> first before i ask the actual question what do you feel about being a, a topic of liturgical historical study because <laughs> they call it li living history i think <laughs> i think so yeah but he 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 was asking some questions just first broadly around the backstory of the march for jesus movement and then i think his particular interest is on the spiritual warfare side of things which you know for for those that don't know particularly among those of us that were in charismatic streams um 
yeah, the idea of there is a spiritual world. This isn't earth here and heaven up here, but there's this excluded middle that particularly in Western cultures, we often completely, completely ignore. And so, you know, other cultures around the world and historically don't ignore that. They have rich biblical theologies of spiritual warfare. I can think of Nigerian Mm. friends and others um, that that understand that. Mm. But, But for you is, you know, this is a few decades ago when, when this was really growing, this March for Jesus, kind of a little of the backstory and then also what, what, what was some of the thoughts or beliefs or even things you were singing that was around that kind of spiritual warfare motif? Yeah, so some of these um, uh, little house churches in you know, what was a house church attempt is some of them became whole movements with thousands of people and you know scores of churches and uh, uh, and and so on, so there's a whole uh, and there's a kind of a new take on things. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a coming of age, if you like, uh, of a generation who are now lead starting to lead churches and and try to see things differently and uh, understand things um, in their own in the context of, of the world that they, you know, grew up in uh, uh, and so on. So there's a lot of um, inquiry, you know, a lot of thinking, uh, some experimentation. And one of those things was was about what you might broadly call spiritual warfare. You could just call it prayer, I suppose. Um, but I remember there were people in my circus in London who were saying, well, look, if we're going to really pray for our city, um, Let's not do it from a, a room somewhere in the basement of a church. Let's actually go to some of these places and pray. You know, if, if we're concerned about, uh, uh, you know, unjust laws or um, the origins of the slave trade or something, let's go to these places. Let's go to the docks where they used to, un, you know, unload the goods that were exchanged for slaves, etc. And, and let's pray there, you know. And it just brought, it's a sort of bring a reality to it. And an edge to it, and so you know, people was some groups were starting to do that. Um, the church I was involved in London, if we were trying to plant a church in a particular area of London, they would say, "Well, let's go and walk around the streets and let's pray," just in a, a kind of um, incognito sort of way, um, or let's even maybe worship on a street corner for a while, or you know, let's be there. Let's let's be on site. You know, yeah. so these sorts of things were going on, um, and um, my particular journey was having been part of of this burgeoning new music, new sort of kind of songs and styles using contemporary instruments and so on in worship. Churches were actually coming alive. You know, they're becoming. In many places, quite, and the arts were also being given a lot more, given a lot more freedom. So churches were becoming quite colourful and and joyful and communal. Yeah. And I remember thinking about that and saying, "That's really good," but it's all happening behind the four walls, you know. And as far as the outside world is concerned, they don't even know it's going on. They and they don't care. They don't care less anyway. Is, is there a way, you know, God, is there a way we could somehow take some of this on the streets, you know? Um, and I began to look at, um, like, the history of the Salvation Army when they used to take their brass bands down the streets um, 
they were serving the poor, but they would worship on the streets and they would draw a crowd with a brass band and, and someone would stand up and preach the gospel and, uh, and, and so on. Fantastic thing. I thought, okay, so how did they do that? And was there a methodology and, and, and so on? Um, and I'm actually, I came across a guy in our own church who had been um, he, uh, uh, a missionary in China way, way back. And he was very elderly, you know, by the time I knew him. And he, he said, oh, yes, um, I, we used to do that um, out, out in the streets. Um, and so he had a story to tell. And I started to gather all these things. I think, well, what's, what's possible? Um, and um, I remember being, I heard that in our church was cooperating with another ministry and we're going to have a pray a prayer march, if you like, around uh, the sort of central entertainment district of London, and I was expecting to have a, you know, this was a Saturday off, a rare Saturday at home, <laughs> and I, I heard about this. I thought, oh no, <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to have to go <laughs> there, um, which I did, and ended up having to lead some songs out on the streets with my acoustic guitar. Yeah. And a guy with a big bass drum, and someone else had a violin or something, yeah. and it was a strange mixture of really out of my comfort zones, and part of me hating it, and mm. thinking we just look like idiots, you know. And what we're singing now might be good in church, but it sounds nonsense to these people. But at the same time, I felt God is really here somehow, you know. You felt the presence of God. Anyway. Very stressed, you know, I went home, but I was determined to actually write. Let's try. I'd learned enough to say, well, here's here's a possible methodology for something we could sing on the streets. And and so I made an, a, an album and uh, included that and thought, thank goodness that's ticked off the list. <laughs> that's to my horror. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I say to my horror, but to, to my delight, actually, <laughs> People started, we started getting reports in that people were doing it. Churches were joining together in towns and villages and actually doing this thing. And it was working, you know. Um, anyway, there's, there's a long story there, but it, it, it grew and grew. Uh, it became nationwide. We'd have massive gatherings, tens of thousands of people in, in London. It went Europe-wide. Yeah. It went worldwide. Yeah. And it was just a, it was just a moment to get out on the streets um, and to worship and to pray. Um, uh, so in all of that, I think we were exploring what, what, is, what are the dynamics here, you know? Um, what does it mean to declare truth out on the streets? Uh, who's listening, you know? Um, et cetera, et cetera. And... Um, other movements around the world were, I think, doing similar things um, in a kind of uh, whether certain territories had certain ent spiritual entities, you know, that were sort of yeah. controlling them or influencing them. And all this is going on, but it's yeah. it's very exploratory. And I think in the end, it probably settled down to uh, quite a good balance. Um, and I think we, 
And then eventually we had a good balance. For example, many of the marches would host sort of acts of reconciliation between different parts of the community. Sometimes church leaders would publicly wash each other's feet as a kind of a, a sign that they were, they were going to be have a servant heart to one another and not just compete for congregations in the town. Um, go to places uh, of historic difficulty in the community and just pray for reconciliation and peace. Um, and it was many things grew out of it, you know. And of course, it often just happens one day a year. And you say, what, what good does that do? But I think for many people, it was the first time they had walked down the street at the risk of being identified by neighbours or friends, you know. They went, people went public <clears throat> in their faith in a very overt kind of way. Um, and I think it break when you do that, it breaks something. Um, and I think one of the lovely moments I can remember when we used to come to an end of a, one of these global praise marches, we might be in London, we might be gathered at Trafalgar Square or in Hyde Park, some famous, you know, famous places. And we'd connect um, uh, by phone to somebody in St. Petersburg or in Seoul, Korea or in Berlin, you know, mm. And we'd hear people, Christians from other parts of the world. This is pre-internet, yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah, you, you couldn't do this. And we we'd hear Zoom or, yeah. people saying, you know, in their in their in their accent, you know, we're here in in Berlin, and there's probably sixty thousand people out on the streets here, and we're praying for Europe, and and everyone in the crowd in London will go, wow, hey, you know, you you suddenly think we're part of this big family, uh, this worldwide, um much bigger than ourselves. And just to be in that, particularly for youngsters who didn't know there was anything more than their local youth group, can be a, a revelation. Um, you know, fast forward, you know, a few decades, you know, is there still a need for unified public expressions of faith? Uh, this this was something, sounds that was unique to that time <laughs> and that moment. <clears throat> Um, and as, as you said, settled down a little bit. Um, <laughs> is is there, as you, as you look at even thinking COVID and being apart from each other, and, yeah, po challenging political landscapes globally, is there is there a need for these these public expressions? And maybe what, yeah, what could that look like? Well, I mean that's a. A big question. I, th I think there are times and seasons in, in God's purposes where things like this ha have have a moment and a, and a role. But you, I don't think on a big scale you can just make it happen. Um, and in a sense, I, mean, I remember we had this saying, because March for Jesus grew exponentially, it was a phenomenon. Um, and... In, dis in explaining it I, I, on behalf of the people who were behind it, the founders and so on, I would often say, we don't so much run March for Jesus, we run after it. Because it was like happening faster than we could barely keep, keep up with this simple idea. And there was a, definitely a sense of, um, well, we would read it as the favour of God on, on this thing. And I think... Um, 
And that's not always the case. Some often we have to do things just out of obedience to God, completely against the tide. Actually, that's how it started. To be honest, <laughs> it started as who are these crazy people, and um, you know, let's keep away from from them um, because we were doing something. But you know, it broke something, and it became a moment. Uh, whether it's for today, I, I mean, I don't think it would necessarily look the same. Although I guess a bunch of people processing down the streets kind of does look a bit similar really. there's only one way you can do it <laughs> um, and it still does happen in, in places sure, yeah. you know in Latin America it's, it, it's pretty massive down there even to this to this day um, but I remember at the time we had a sense that we had to say reclaim the streets or um somehow be there because if we weren't uh you know why shouldn't we be there you know we're even as a significant group in a democracy you know why shouldn't we actually be there um but in the sense that there was a danger that we forsook public places because it was maybe too costly or embarrassing or something to actually be there um, but a lot of things um, that aren't Christian um, uh, a lot of good things um, or you know a lot of all kinds of things start on the streets you know so we mustn't imagine that that's somewhere we should never go um, in fact it's perhaps somewhere we should think a lot more about going but I don't know in what form that would take in the pleasant in the present con context hmm. <laughs> something for us to yeah continue to reflect and and pray <clears throat> on I think particularly those studying these movements you know are able to look back and look at all the sources and and look at it things and often you know are trying to build that story particularly historians kind of why things happened the way way they did and particularly i think around around the worship movement or even even this particular case there's a desire to look at how other movements were formed or you know i talked about pete ward looking at um you know on the on the worship side how the economies of the music industry were copy and pasted in some ways onto yeah, yeah. the kind of charismatic <clears throat> worship movement. And I think that that line of inquiry is really important for us to engage with and think about it and pray about. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm also hearing you say in some sense, like this wasn't something you could manufacture. Like if you put A plus B yeah. plus C plus, you know, had all the right ingredients it may have not become a, a national and global phenomenon. There seems to be a, yeah. yeah. How did you say that? Like it, it was you were you were catching up to to what was. Oh what yes, was we, we, yeah, yeah. We, we don't run March Jesus. Yeah. We run yeah. after it. Yeah. Um, but before we run after ran after it, we had to go through the pain. I think and the and the discomfort of being out of you know out of our usual con context. Yeah. Living in the UK and worshiping in in some evangelical and Anglican churches, I could even imagine how yeah, just on people on the individual level, like 
Oh well, yeah. What will the neighbor? What will the neighbors think? Or yeah, <laughs> if they yeah. saw me down, down in Trafalgar or something like that. Yeah. Oh, Graham, as you know, we've been in some ways talking about your life and about this contemporary worship movement over the last forty or fifty years. As 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 you've seen and been a part of that, um, what's a few things that concern you? A few things that. Um, Maybe you wish could have could have been different, or a few things that you'd encourage, you know, the next generation of writers and leaders to try to try to stray from, or try to move a little bit away from that. What are some of those concerns? I think as we've adopted, you know, we 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 talked about culture earlier and how we need to relate to the culture, but as we do that. Um, we need to be discerning about how much of that culture we've taken on board. You know, um, there are parts of it that really work well for us, but there are other parts maybe don't. And I do sometimes wonder whether um, we've taken the artist thing too too far, um, and the platform then becomes wholly a kind of musical platform Mm -hmm. Um, whereas I remember one of the things that we really pursued back in those early days uh, of these renewal movements was what is what is is there such a thing as an apostolic team you know how did Paul operate you know Mm -hmm. the fivefold you know apostle prophet pastor teacher evangelist how do they work together are they supposed to actually function like a team in the same place or all those kind of things and um and not probably a lot of those questions still waiting to be answered but i certainly had this sense of there are different giftings in the body and we need to recognize those so often our meetings would be you know you would be the worship leader but um, there will be others um who had other giftings um, who could very easily interrupt you at, at, at the most unmusical moment, <laughs> which yeah. you know you're, you're leading yeah. a song, you know, and you you know where you're going, you know, and then suddenly you you're aware of a presence by your side, and it's not an angel, <laughs> it's a, it's somebody who's kind of trying to get your attention because they've it's a pastor or an know, evangelist wanting to do their thing. Yeah, that's right, you know, <laughs> and and of course you're obliged to step aside and and. You know that might be the last your last moment at the microphone that whole evening. You know because it just goes off in a completely different direction. But there's something in the in the in the discomfort of that and the and the need to um, submit our gifts one to another that I think we might have lost in in the and I think I was part of that in the sense that there was that era that was season where everything seemed to be happening encounters with god seemed to be happening in sung worship mm-hmm. so that's what everybody wanted to do for as long as possible yeah. you know and so i would uh, i mean over the years i've worked in you know uh, in partnership in kind of preacher musician partnerships um and something i really very much believe in but in there was a season when it became more about the musician you know um and the word and the song worship um and i think that became like a a that's how we do it you know 
Now, obviously, there's a difference here between what might be a sort of a worship concert or a worship event with a, yeah. a visiting worship, famous worship leader, yeah. you know, in a stadium or sports hall or something yeah. compared to local church, you know, which is much more team based. But perhaps well, we should happens, think um, can again. I, can, I put, can I push you on that? Because what happens yeah. in those stadiums and what happens, uh, yeah, in, in, a, in a concert hall does impact what happens on a Sunday morning in terms of the expectations yeah, yes. of the congregation or, you know, expectations I might put on my, if I'm planning worship for, for our local church, like I might put on some of those, those expectations. So I think there is a challenge for those who are leading the stadium events to, to remember, yeah, what's happening on the local level and how their people are looking yeah. up to them and defining their practice and theology yeah, yeah. yeah their theology of worship based on the worship concert even though it is yeah very unique mm. or different than the the corporate experience mm. yeah so i think that sort of team teamwork the different gifts yeah. and the body working together is is one of the things i think we should maybe think start thinking yeah. about a bit more the, the the than we do um i think there is a, something self-perpetuating about genres and styles. When things become popular, uh, and that's a lot to do with that, the algorithms that push certain songs to the, that what's trending, you know, and make it trend more. Yeah. And so you get a certain kind of song that is pushed to the top, which might be a great song, but it, it might not be what is actually really needed, you know, um, in in my local church situation so i think we are in an era where local churches are um uh, driven effectively by the popular culture yeah. it sets the agenda for the local church which means the local church has to work that much harder to say okay that that might be fine but this is this is the path we we're pursuing yeah. by faith yeah. this is we feel this is our calling and therefore we want this is how we're going to do it and it might be different and if you don't like the fact that we don't sing the top five latest songs that's fine there's plenty of places you can go where they do sing that <laughs> but yeah, and of course there's a cost you know you might lose people because you're not singing the the popular songs that people want to sing um so, but i think it's the same with i say the the this individualism, uh, it, it becomes um, a, uh, a habit. It becomes just the way things are. It becomes a culture. Uh, so that if, if you sing songs which are totally objectively about God and don't mention us at all, it can even seem strange. What's going on there, you know? Uh, and it simply means that we've, we've got wrapped into this, um, you know, this echo chamber of... A particular kind of mood or atmosphere. Um, I sometimes think uh, I'm always looking for songs, but if I'm looking for songs which are just joyful, you have to go to the kids' repertoire, you know, because it seems that the, there's a dominant genre of what I call emotional intensity, right? which is fantastic, but not all the time. <laughs> it gets exhausting. And 
unreal possibly because we don't always feel that you know for hours on end there are moments of that but there are moments for you know just sheer joy but Uh, but those joyful songs, they've almost been like exceptions along the way. You know, Matt Redmond wrote the Undignified yeah. song a yeah. long time ago. But those songs only seem to come along once every 10 years or something. Does that mean that we're just not joyful enough? It might it might do, or it might also mean that we've got stuck in a, in a, a narrow band of emotion and expression, you know? And you could go on That's to... Fu- I know that that one on joy is so fascinating. I think it's one particularly and yeah, worship leaders struggle sometimes to find those celebratory Mm. songs or joyful songs. We're even planning for an upcoming chapel. Like we're going to draw from, I think the eighties, like he has made me glad you remember, I will enter his gates like that, that one again, because it's, it's joyful. It's glad it's um, we're doing it with horns and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see how people will respond because it doesn't represent the kind of, yeah, how'd you call it? Emotion, emotionally, what'd you, what'd, what'd you categorize it as? Emotional, emotional intensity. intensity. Emotional intensity. Which also, yeah. which also can lead to emotional exhaustion because everything's always so yeah. so intense yeah. and yearning. So I'm, I'm anxious to see how our community responds to something that's, but, yeah, 20, 20 but 30, But is it also, is it, also something to do with being cool Mm. and looking cool you know back to undignified yeah you know and because we're all being filmed and every new song that comes out and i'm the same you've got to have a film aspect of it and you've got to have the right look and everything um are we getting trapped in into this thing that we've just got to look cool yeah. And anything that doesn't look cool, you know, well, we might be embarrassed or people won't like it or um, but surely joy. Um, it's in such short supply, you know, people. And, and when you do, you know, the, the genre which is widely acceptable, which is joyful, is gospel. And everybody yeah. loves a joyful gospel yeah. song, whether it's, you know, the voice America or something like that, you know, a gospel choir comes on and everybody's, now what's what's going on there, you know? And there's a lot of things going on there, but I think it does, does say that actually people want to taste some joy. And if they taste it, they might want to know where it comes from, you know? Um, it's, um, I, th- I think you have to swallow your cool you know, sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think drawing and, from drawing from other yeah. other genres. I think of you know a, a mutual good friend of both of ours. You've known him longer, but Steve Thompson. I had Steve playing yeah, keyboard yeah. for an event I was leading at, and um, it was it was that kind of heavy emotional, like ah, oh, that that a little bit of yearning, longing. Um, and the, the service was very open and Steve then took us a very different direction in terms of joy, but he, he did change. And I know I've, I've seen YouTube clips of him doing that with, with you too. Yeah. And, yes. and so I think some, some of it is a, a cultural expectation. There's 
musical yeah. styles and genres are we are we drawing from youtube and Coldplay or yeah other other styles and rhythms and forms that that enable us as as humans to engage more with some of those feelings and so yeah i think thank god for people like steve who will <laughs> take us out of of our comfort zone or that dominant and get a little get a little undignified from time to time yeah, yeah. <laughs> Graham, I have I, yeah, one one more question that this comes from one of my yeah, one of my students here at, at Dort. They we've they've asked this of a number of of guests. If you remember back to the future, right? The the DeLorean, is that, you're familiar yeah, with that, yeah. right? That that made it to the UK, I'm sure. <laughs> it did. If, yes, if it you did. <laughs> if you could jump into a DeLorean, Graham, and go back in time when you were just getting started, particularly in the worship ministry side of things, um, what would you? Yeah, what would you tell the early Graham Kendrick worship leader? What's what's some advice you might give give yourself back then? <laughs> <laughs> Great question. Yeah, it is actually. Um... Don't talk so much. I tell myself, you know, you you're not there to preach a sermon between every yeah. song. And I did, I did, I did talk talk too much, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I guess things like don't put so much weight on what other people think of you. I mean, that's that's more of a kind of character thing, you know, being too eager to please everybody, you know. Um, and because uh, that, you know, that affects that affects a lot of things, doesn't it? Um, um, I would probably say, get some singing lessons, Graham. <laughs> In the... Um, um you know there were areas of i think i was in such a um so focused on the the next thing you know uh and life was very busy and there's all sorts of stuff good stuff happening you know but um there were some sort of simple disciplines like that which would have really helped me um and saved me a lot of stress living with this fear of losing my voice you know and um, it might sound strange, but that, but things like that are they do boil down to a sort of a stop and be wise, um, you know, learn some skills that'll help you. It could be in lots of different areas, but certainly in the area for for, for me, I kept losing my voice, but it was I just never learned how to how to you know sing without strain care, care for the voice you know? yeah 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 care yeah. care for the voice um i think you know there were times when we put a lot of uh weight on how hard we worked it's not activism we were we were busy people and we were quite and that was a sort of sign of our importance that we were really busy we were really in demand you know, we were working late. You know how late we were last night. We were counselling till 2 a.m. And then up at 6, you know. And uh, all this sort of stuff, which is a little bit of macho for the men, uh, but a little bit of... And fortunately, there were people around who, 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 you know, 
who gave us some some wisdom and uh, helped us to moderate our lives a little bit but uh, a lot of it was just trying to prove prove ourselves somehow and you know we needed to learn how to rest in god um and learn to accept that god really loves us you know um i would say one other thing and in going back particularly the early early days uh, in these activist days um i think my spiritual life was uh road really on road on the back of, of the ministry uh, and the the anointing of ministry and and the adrenaline um and in our in in the sort of rare days off uh my spiritual life will kind of collapse because i hadn't developed um a, a you know a spirituality which didn't depend on being busy and being on a stage and being with other people and 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 so on and and it i, I and it took me a long time i mean it's a lifelong thing really um but to actually build some foundations in my life so there was i could be content as just me and god you know finding a place of rest and reflection um and some input and uh, uh, and so on um so that that was a a major a major thing i you know yeah i don't know those are what no wise wise well tested <laughs> words i think that you're you're sharing not just not just for a young graham kendrick but uh, for all of us as followers of jesus but particularly those who serve in in public ministry i wonder would you be willing just you know a lot of the people listen i make my some of my students listen to these podcasts as part of their their learning would you be willing just to to yeah to pray for those who are who are who are listening to this Mm. yeah certainly certainly yeah thanks graham Oh, thank you, Heavenly Father, for your faithfulness um, over the years. Thank you, Lord, for your patience and your grace. Thank you, Lord, for the times that you direct us or protect us. We never even know that it's that it's happening. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters now that are um, at a much earlier stage um, in in their journey. And I pray, Lord God, that you will open their eyes to see uh, what you are doing and to discern um, and I'm just thinking of that phrase that um, somebody said uh, God doesn't ask us to design our future but to discern it Lord I pray you'll help uh, my brothers and sisters to find that place with God where they can quietly discern what you are doing and also to discern the connections with people the the people that they will journey with for some years uh some period of time or even for the rest of their lives i think of some of the people that i met when i was in my early 20s uh who are still friends and we've uh still serving god in different places but that bond remains Mm -hmm. And Lord, I pray that you'll give grace to nurture those 
good friendships and those especially those holy spirit connections and to see see more than our own pathway and and our own interests as the scriptures say don't look only to your own interests but to the interests of of others um i do pray lord god for grace for all those who have to step up and and lead worship on platforms i know the the expectations are very high um because there's so much there are so many models out there um to copy or to to aspire to lord i pray that you will give each one uh, a a sense of the joy of being the, that special individual that God has made, a person in community with others, but a unique creation of God, not to be something else, but to discover Christ in us, the hope of glory. And that brings out a unique journey and a unique personality. So I pray, Lord God, that you'll just lift the pressure of having to be something else or someone else and just to simply be each of us to be ourselves but full of full of christ full of the holy spirit and looking out loving loving one another um and all this pressure to write songs and to be this all in one this this great singer songwriter worship leader personality uh lord i pray that you'll just relieve us of that burden. Help us just to serve the people that you've put us with, however humble it may seem. And the truth is, Lord, that some of your greatest heroes we've never heard of and we will never hear of until the rewards are given out and the kingdom has come in its fullness and we'll suddenly discover people that were simply faithful in obscurity. And Lord, help us to be content to be faithful in obscurity or faithful on a platform for a season. But Lord, it's contentment in you that I pray for. So Lord, I pray your blessing and your encouragement. Pray for longevity. Pray, Lord God, for the long obedience in the same direction and that you help my brothers and sisters to um, discern what are temptations just for quick fixes and shortcuts <clears throat> rather than the long obedience in the same direction that takes us to your your well done good and faithful servant amen amen graham what a yeah what a treat thank you for sharing your life your experience your ministry and also your time Thanks for joining us for the Worship Theology Podcast, and a special thanks to the Calvin Institute of Christian Worship for their support.